Hello, and welcome back to episode number 45 of the Technician Academy podcast. This is Sean Collins. I'm the founder of Technician Academy, and I would first like to thank all of our loyal listeners for sticking in and tuning in and being a loyal subscriber to the Technician Academy podcast. We've had a bit of a podcast vacation, if you will, but we are excited to get the ball rolling here in 2019. And with episode number 45, we are going to get started with an interview with Bruce McDowell. Today in the podcast studio, as I said, Bruce McDowell, he is the service advisor for Garber Diesel Service in Versailles, Missouri. Bruce has many credentials. I'll list just a few of them here. Bruce's credentials include he is an AMAM through AMI, an ASE certified service advisor, a four Motor Company Master Service Manager, a Master Parts Manager, a Master Warranty Administrator. He has two management degrees, a stationary engineer license, and he's also retired Navy. And above all, Bruce is modest. He cares about the industry. He's a family guy, and I couldn't be more happy to get started with episode number 45 of the Technician Academy podcast series, brought to you by Motorrad, and welcome, Bruce McDowell. All right, everyone. Um, Thanks once again for tuning in to podcast number 45 of the Technician Academy podcast. Once again, podcast number 45 on Technician Academy. And we're uh, honored today to be able to have Bruce McDowell, as I said, from Garber Service, uh, Diesel Service. He's uh, a longtime service advisor there. I went through his credentials, um, master of a lot here i mean i'm looking at bruce and you know i see master service advisor master parts manager warranty administrator uh two management degrees um welcome to the podcast bruce well thank you very much good to be here how are things in versailles today uh the weather actually uh, turned off nice we had some sunshine and uh, no snow so that's always a good day all right yeah we're uh in the uh, mid 60s here in indiana and uh enjoying every moment sunshine and it was uh, a good day for a walk so uh we we really like those days so if you would bruce tell us uh, a little bit about what's going on at garber diesel service well to, to kind of give you um, some history and what we do uh, Garber Diesel Service focuses on over-the-road trucks and trailers. Uh, we also work on pickups and the occasional diesel-equipped diesel car. Um, we had to make the decision kind of early on when we opened in this facility that we, we don't do gasoline engines, we don't do agricultural stuff because we have more than enough business to keep us busy right now. And we're just going to focus on what we do well. Uh, Garber Diesel began in 1997 when Kenneth Garber decided he was going to open his own shop. And he started working out of a one-bay garage at home that didn't have a front door. Uh, From there, he moved into a renovated milk barn and uh, continued there until his sons were old enough to really involved in the business 
And then in 2014, we moved into the facility we're in currently. Uh, we have nine bays, five techs, one full-time parts guy, uh, me, of course, and one general manager. Um, I would say most of our customers, uh, because we are a little bit of a niche market, we draw customers from a wider range than a typical automotive shop. Most automotive shops focus on a five-year, I'm sorry, a five-mile radius. We have customers, regular customers, out to 20 miles, and some that will drive two and three hours to come to us for service. I think the farthest customer we had come specifically to our shop was from central Oklahoma. Wow. And uh, he came came specifically to have work done at our shop because of some recommendations. So you said in the beginning here that you were able to um, really look at what your core of what you did well. How long did it take leadership there and, and the entire team to go, you know, because a, a lot of organizations in, in a lot of companies in the industry or, you know, it, it's a, about the bottom line and how quickly can we turn it? And, you know, what's the uh, what's the spreadsheet look like today? Uh, how long did it take Garber to then then be able to say, OK, we're passionate in this core set of business and this is what we're going to do well. That's that's uh, that immediately caught my attention when you were mentioning that. Probably just a few months after moving into this facility, when we when we came to this building, it is a much better location. I would say our uh, truck count instead of car count doubled basically overnight. Uh, we saw a lot, a lot more phone calls, more vehicles just showing up. And in the past, uh, we would do a work on anything, gas engine, agricultural stuff, but it was only, I'd say, a couple of months before we realized that we needed to really focus on on what we do. And uh, having come from the background of I work on everything, uh, it, it was as big a challenge for me as for any of the techs to turn away work um, because it has a, a gas engine or it may be a diesel engine and agricultural application. But by focusing on what we do, I feel like we do a better job we're better able to service our customers the way they should be taken care of. Well, and this being Technician Academy, and it's all about tech, right? Um, could definitely hear the uh, the tone of of the startup to uh, franchise, if you will, the the core values there uh, of like many of the tech startups today, like Apple and Amazon and Google, starting in that one you know, one bay garage and then, you know, as you said, moving into the milk barn and some other uh, other facilities as uh, the business picked up. So that uh, that is in the, the tech world. The the startup is uh, is very recognizable. It sounds like very much comparable. Yes, it, it really is. And uh, I think, you know, starting that way as opposed to um, say, a franchise-type situation. Uh, there's more of the family values, the, those core values that are uh, more valuable even than, you know, crunching numbers and 
trying to make as much profit a day as you can. Yes, absolutely. So, Bruce, on the introduction, I, I talked about your credentials and an AMAM through AMI, your uh, ASC certified service advisor, Ford Motor Company, master service manager, uh, master service advisor. Could you give us a little bit about uh, your history in the industry and, and, and what really drives you to go to work in the morning? Well, um, I retired from the Navy in 1996. And I, had, I was an old gearhead from the 70s and 80s. You know, I had the, uh, the V8 Vegas and uh, the Hot Rod GTO and all that stuff. And I uh, thought I knew a little bit about cars. So I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I had the opportunity to go to, a, go to work at a shop here in Versailles area. Um, it wasn't very long before I figured out just how much I did not know about cars. But... Uh, it was a, an interesting transition for me. Um, I have all of those credentials you, you mentioned. Uh, as a uh, independent shop, uh, started out as uh, actually I started sweeping and painting, and then he, he advi- uh, advanced me to service advisor and went through the training there. Um, yes, with AMI, I am AMAM certified. AMI also recently put me on the advisory commission for service advisor training through AMI. Uh, The Ford certifications, I worked at three different dealerships and served all of those positions, service advisor, service manager, parts manager, warranty administrator, and certified master in all of those areas. Um, I have supervised four independent shops, three dealerships, and was just on the cusp of trying to go into uh, consulting for automotive shops when these guys made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh, I did go to college, got two management degrees, which uh, that and a dollar will buy you a cup of coffee. (laughs) But uh, it was interesting, uh, again, going to college in my 50s and being in classrooms with 19 and 20 year olds uh, was a bit of an experience, but uh, again, it kind of gave me a, a look at how the newer generation, the up and coming generation, views things. Right. Um, I'm just going to ask. You talked about the Navy, retired Navy. Now, the other, I was watching uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the shows there on Amazon Prime. And there was a segment on NASA and Neil Armstrong and and all the guys that were the early, you know, um, groundbreaking astronauts, if you will, first in orbit and first on the moon and all that. And, you know, their vehicle of choice, their hot rod of choice was the Corvette due to a local dealership and having some uh, connections there and them being able to, I guess, lease them for a dollar a year. But that was a a perk for the NASA, uh, you know, soon to be what was called the astronauts there. What was what's the the vehicle? What's what's the hot rod of choice? So was it the Vega? Well, it was for me because uh, at the time you could buy a, a a Vega for two or three hundred dollars. Uh, a small block Chevy went for around three hundred fifty dollars. You know, you could build it. It's you know, lots and lots of parts availability. 
Uh, I would say the the old muscle cars, you know, the Chevelles, the Trans Ams, Corvette, uh, Corvettes, Camaros, yeah, all of those. And of course, you know, everyone, whatever they own, is the best one possible. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah they were talking about uh, when they would uh, get off of of duty, they would go there and. Um, out on what the intersections between the launch pads, they just had these endless roads that they could drag race on. And, and every, every, every night, as soon as it ended, you know, th- their day at work ended as a astronaut, they took the Corvettes out on the, on the service roads and drag raced, you know, race after race against each other. And everybody was always, you know, improving and improving. So that was, uh, it was very interesting to see that and hear those stories about the guys who are, you know, the first ones in the orbit, the first ones to walk on the moon. But yet, as soon as they were off of work of going real fast, they wanted to continue to go real fast in, in those Corvettes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know you can't see me, but I'm grinning real big right now, <laughs> re- reliving all some of those days. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, you, you talked about your, your time in the industry here, um, what what drew you into it. You know, what is your favorite part of your, your day today? Is it interacting with the customers? Is it uh, learning how the industry is changing? I mean, what what's your passion today? I would have to say, and, and I know this kind of sounds corny, but I really enjoy helping people. I mean, I. I get calls every day and they'll ask for something maybe we don't do here or maybe I can't get to them quickly. So I will either recommend a shop to do it. I'll send them, you know, uh, to somebody, you know, if it's a gas engine, there are some local shops I recommend. Um, And I will share information with anybody at any time. I often tell customers, I know you're not from here. If you're in another state and you have a problem, and it doesn't sound right, you call me and I'll either verify or give you some more information or whatever you need. I believe that that mentality of helping people is, um, let me make this statement. A business must be profitable to stay in business. So that that's a given. But do we need to, to... uh, get every dollar from every customer. And that was a mentality in the, in the dealership world. It was not about building relationships or helping people. It was how many hours can you sell today? How much parts can you sell? What is the maximum markup the market will stand? And so I always had issues with that mentality. However, every dealership service department I was allowed to run my way had great customer service index, uh, Ford grades monthly, your CSI. Uh, they call random customers and how was your experience? Uh, I was at two different dealerships where customers would come in and bring us cookies. Oh, wow. After we service their vehicle because we took good care of them. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a big area and, you know, if you want mathematically, I can prove to you that taking care of a good customer will net you more profit than trying to get over on them one time for the biggest sale you can get. And so over the years, I've, I've developed uh, that idea. For example, 
lady comes in, we go through their car, and it needs, say, an air filter. And if I, they're good customers and I know the husband likes to do some things, I'll say, you know what, you need an air filter, but I think your husband could handle that. So that tells a customer you're not in it to sell everything you can. Right. Let them do a little bit. They feel good about it. You know, maybe I lost 2 or $3 profit on an air filter, but how much have I invested in that customer to be a future customer for me? for myself yeah and it's it's as ever we hear the analogy all the time and it, it is you know it's a relationship business and, and there's a lot of trust that's involved from that person that walks in that door you know they're under a lot of stress uh they're, they're probably their primary source of transportation to or from work to get their kids to their next soccer you know game to whatever it is if they have to go work a bingo uh, they're under a lot of stress there at times. And then even on the general service, the, you know, we hear so often the, the dread of, I don't, you know, oh my, every time it is upsell this, add this, you know, fuel added, you know, all those things. And as you said in the beginning, it's doing what you love. And it sounds like those relationships that you formed has helped fuel that business there. Yes. And one example, when I have, we, we do uh, prevent and maintenance inspections, and it's, uh, yes, we sell some work off of it, but in my mind, the main focus is to let the customer know the condition of their vehicle and let them make the decision. I've, I've told customers, I don't know how much money you have in your account, and it really doesn't matter. This is what you, you need today. This, these things can be done later. And you decide what you want to do. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and really, you know, that that discussion and, and what what you just, you know, went through and talked about that passion with the, the listeners here. That's one of the reasons why, um, you know, we're happy on Technician Academy on the site to have a section that's called the Service Advisors Desk. And it's written by you in, in your tone about where uh, where you see that portion of the business and what you're passionate about. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that section and some of the content you're coming up with? Yeah. Uh, Service Advisors Desk began as a uh, training that I had developed when I was in college, even though I wasn't in the automotive department at that time. The uh, teacher there, uh, he and I would, would talk at different times, and he asked would I come in and teach his students on what being an advisor is about. Excuse me just a second. <coughs> so um, that's where I began to develop the ideas <clears throat> and put them on paper. Then uh, I began to see, like when I was at Ford and I would train advisors, that um, you know, how you handle your customer and how you treat them and the issues that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis um, create the, the world that we live in. I've seen people, uh, you know, take the job as an advisor and two days later they quit because they can't handle the stress. And, you know, that's a shortfall on the management side. We're not training them correctly. Uh, also, 
I look back in the history before I began working in the industry, and I would take my car to a shop and how poorly I was handled. I, I call and talk to other shops, and I sometimes I'm just aghast at how they talk to me, and therefore I know that's the way they talk to their customers as well. So uh, I am passionate about this industry. I want to see everyone do well. Uh, we don't need to rob cars or trucks from our neighbor down the road who has a shop because there are enough broke vehicles out there to keep us all busy. If we handle the customer right, we do it professionally and, you know, uh, work together to improve the overall perception of the public of our industry. Um, kind of got off on a rabbit trail there, but no, service, advisors, service advisors desk is designed to assist new service advisors, especially but even some senior advisors that have been around for a while. Uh, just as technology and the vehicle has changed, how we deal with our customers has also changed. Um, a lot of our customers today are way more tech savvy, you know, and they want to see and feel and, and know everything that's going on with their vehicle. So they all need to be handled appropriately. And again, I'll say that if we handle our customers correctly, the perception of the industry will improve and all of our jobs will be easier and we'll be better qualified in the future to do what we need to do. Um, I wanted to add, I believe that there is a fix for every problem we run into in the automotive industry. The question is, we have to first identify what the problem is. We have to admit that it's a problem. And then we have to have the courage to do what it takes to fix that problem. And so many times our history has determined how we're going to respond or how we're going to react. We have to accept that change is here and we need to be willing to move on, make the changes we need to do to you know, feed our families and to take care of our customers. That's right. And and part of that, that change that you and I have talked about in the past is part of this series that uh, we're just now in, embarking on. And that change of, you know, n this is not your grandfather's garage. And, you know, we're there's going to be some topics on there, I'm sure, that cover some of the things, like you said, technology has changed, the customer has changed, relationships and the way people communicate have changed. And what can the, uh, what can the subscribers expect about uh, or expect to hear from uh, Bruce on that, uh, on those topics? Uh, the Not Your Grandfather's Garage uh, series is going to be based almost entirely on the change in technology. You know, our grandfather's garage dealt with uh, points and condensers and tack and dwell meters and carburetors, and those things don't exist in today's automobile. Um, so not only have the automobiles changed, but our way of, of repairing them, our way of training our technicians, our staff in the front of the office, advisors and managers, all of those folks 
are dealing with new technology, and it is growing at an exponential rate. Um, so that you know, the day of walking out to your customer with a screwdriver and making an adjustment on their carburetor is is over. Those days are gone. Not your grandfather's garage is going to be aimed at uh, helping us all get on the same track of accepting that technology is here and how we're going to deal with it, uh, whether it be training, finding the right, right technicians, uh, training our front of the office staff, all of that. Um, when I look back at even the last five years, the advances that have been made, digital inspections, texting people, sending them uh, digital inspections with photographs of you know problems that we find, it's uh, it really has just revolutionized revolutionized the way we do business. Yeah, the change is here, and as as you said, there's enough broke vehicles to go around. But I'm going to set the stage for uh, this next question, and it has something to do with what we're all passionate about here. We talk about it all the time, and you know the U.S. Uh, Bureau of Labor reports that there are roughly 750,000 auto techs nationally, um, and the you know the it's anticipated that that demand is going to go up by over 46,000 more. It's a six percent growth in the industry, and probably need more than that. And you know the dealerships today, the new vehicle dem- uh, dealerships, they're employing about 317,000 service techs, and that's you know on on average about 19 per dealership, according to NADA. So, and and half of those. Uh, technicians of tomorrow is what we like to call them. Entry-level technicians are hired by those dealerships. Um, and and the challenge that we're seeing is, is that when you look at, at retaining that top-level talent and retaining that technician of tomorrow that you know that you can build a business on, you know, you're looking at that I'm a a majority or half are leaving within two years. And then looking at what a um, median pay for a, a technician is today, starting out, you're looking at $29,000. Uh, starting out on the LUBRAC, if you get a, you get to the master certification level, uh, you're looking at 69000 is what NADA says. And that's the median pay. Some are earning less, some are earning more. And then for service advisors, you're looking at around $62,000. Um, you know, when you look at it in comparison, um, in in Evansville, Indiana, here the median, um, you know, labor force hourly rate right now was twenty two, uh, eighteen to twenty two dollars an hour, um, and, and that is with a, a GED with no uh, formal educate with no formal you know secondary post secondary education, and you don't have to have the five thousand to fifty thousand dollars in tools, and you know you're going to be looking at what looks like a forty hour work week that may be on concrete. Most shops are are getting to the. Um, you know, we hope they're getting to the climate controlled areas so the guys are, are more in a, a temperate environment. And, you know, a majority of these guys are saying, hey, 
you know, I wouldn't recommend my this position to any of my friends. So uh, when we talk about there's enough vehicles to go around, I guess I'm going to ask the question or I am going to ask the question here, Bruce. Um, so this technician shortage that we hear about, is it real? Yes, is, is the short answer. Um, now, I want to qualify that a little bit as saying uh, people we would actually hire to be technicians. I have a stack of applications of folks that, you know, uh, just from the way they present themselves, from a brief talk that I wouldn't even consider hiring. So, you know, having applications and having a qualified employee and by qualified, I mean, not necessarily that they, they're super automotive or, or diesel techs. Are they the kind of people we want in our environment? So um, that's one side of that. Yeah. So do you think that it's just the technician or is it a shortage for, you know, all the positions across the automotive industry? Well, the, the technician shortage is the hot topic everyone wants to talk about. But I've even seen shortages in delivery drivers. I can order a part and not get it delivered because they don't have a driver. Or uh, parts personnel. You can't necessarily uh, depend on the person who answers the phone to be qualified to find you the right part and get it delivered to you. So, you know, in our shop, we double check every parts person. I mean, there are some that you, you know you can trust, but... So many times, especially in the uh, uh, non-dealership issues, you know, the, the chain stores, uh, they're hiring the, the cheapest people they can. They give them minimum training and say, here you go. Hope you, hope you do well. Um, so there is, there is a, a shortage everywhere, uh, like you said, from, from technician to advisors to even parts people and delivery drivers. Um, all of those things, you know, affect our shop. We may have a a well-staffed, qualified shop operating very efficiently, but if our support personnel are not supporting us the way we need, then that affects, you know, how we uh, proceed with it, repairs and, and jobs. So if the technician shortage is indeed real and in the industry itself, uh, whether it be delivery tax or, you know, a, a service advisor, you know, what are some of the, the cures for that, that ill, if you will, from, from your perspective? I believe it's all perception. And when I train an advisor, I'll often lead into the, with the question, what do we sell? And they'll say parts, we sell labor, we sell time. I said, we sell perception. If you do a marvelous job, but the customer perceives that you didn't for whatever reason, you know, then they don't think you did a good job. Or you could do a terrible repair, but you present it in a way that, hey, this was the best we could do with, you know, what we had to work with and your, your budget. So uh, there's that. If the customer perceives they got a good deal, they did. If they perceive they were taken advantage of, then you're going to have a hard time changing your mind about that. Now, this also leads into another area. You were discussing pay rates. Why do automotive technicians who have thousands of dollars invested in tools, who have spent years in study and training, 
get paid so little. It's, I, I believe it's back to the perception. We have had this perception for so long and often use the term goober pile. They see a mechanic or a technician as a greasy guy who barely, you know, he can't hold a real job, so he goes to work working on cars and trucks. Whereas you and I know, and anybody who's in this industry knows that none of that is true. We work on highly technical vehicles. We do work on, especially if you're doing all makes, all models, you never know, you know, what you're going to be working on. You know, we kind of joke about, we work on all makes, all models. Doctors, there's two models, and they've never changed. That's right. So why do they make so much money and we don't? Again, I say it's based on the perception of our clientele. If they see us as professionals, then they are more willing to pay more. If there's that that distrust and the feeling that, you know, you guys are trying to take me across, then they're always going to be resistant to pay. And uh, ultimately, that's what it comes down to, for us to pay our technicians more and our advisors or owners to make more money, they have to be able to charge more. And to be able to charge more, the customer has to be willing to pay more. And again, it's all back to perception. So the perception is a reality in in Bruce's mind, if you will. So it sounds like, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, that fueled your passion for the industry and led you to your career was that gear, you know, that, uh, those years of, like you said, the Vega and the gearhead and just the, the passion around what the, you know, the vehicle could do and how far you could push those limits. Um, today, when you look at, at the automotive industry as a whole, do you believe it needs to resurrect some of that nostalgia or does it need a complete and total brand rebuild, if you will, to connect with the technician of tomorrow to help solve the shortage that uh, we're looking at here? I believe brand rebuild is probably a good term to use. Um, and by brand, I mean the industry as a whole. Right. Um because, um, again, there, you ha- we deal with it every day. Now, if I have repeat customers over the course of several visits, they, they lose that um, fear. And they're, they're you know, afraid it's going to cost too much. They're afraid they're going to be lied to or cheated in some way. And as they, they lose that fear, they become more comfortable with you. They don't challenge every every part cost, exactly how much time did you spend on this? You know, all of those questions go away. Um, you know, my favorite customer is the one that throws you the keys and says, call me when it's done. Uh, but you have to build a relationship with those customers to get to that place. Um, and, you know, the, the perception of the general public of the automotive industry didn't happen overnight. And the repair of it is not going to happen overnight either. Um, I believe, having watched the industry for a while now, excuse me, the better shops are going to continue to grow and the questionable shops are going to close. 
um, we're at the place where you either keep up or you or you close the doors. And I believe uh, as technology ch- changes and in- increases, those you know kind of questionable places are not going to be able to keep up, and they're going to close. And as an industry, I see us continuing to grow, but I think it's going to be a slow uphill progress. Yeah, the that perception that you you talk about is uh, it's it's ingrained in in not only the the youth of today, it is that perception of mom and dad of of the four-year degree of going to get the you know the white collar job and that's fueled by you know grandma and grandpa saying you know we want more for our grandchildren and want to see them go out and do great things but it, it, when you and i talk about it we know that there there is a career path that can sustain a family for for you know everything that they need right in front of them that would you know require some uh you know a a two-year asc certification and you know plenty of opportunities in front of them to go in in many many directions so you know when i when i talk about those generations and i talk about and i'm i'm referencing you know mom and dad i'm referencing the let's say the students, friends, the perception of, uh, you know, I want to go be an automotive technician and the response that you may get from that. And, you know, then we have grandma and grandpa, we have aunts and uncles, and then, you know, we have surrounding, you know, siblings. So when we talk about a rebuild, who is the target audience for this rebuild, because I mean, if you go after the the high school student today, is it is it almost too late? Is is it a middle school student? Um, is it potentially grandma and grandpa, or is it mom and dad? Because who who is the one that is going to help shepherd that? that discussion, if you will, is it the a high school counselor that we need to, to go in and address, or is it even the middle school counselor in your mind, if we had to hone in, you know, hone in on one target audience that really needs to hear the message that the automotive industry can support the career of, of today's youth and support them really well, who would we aim that target at? Um, we had this discussion recently at uh, some training I went to in Kansas City, and the the discussion kind of rotated around. You know, as a, as a business, we set goals. We have uh, quarterly goals, yearly goals, and we, the typical thing is to reach out to a five year. We have a, a you know a, in five years we're go- this is our plan. We're going to be at this place. So where are the technicians going to come from in five years? I say the 13-year-old, he's going to be 18 in five years. Uh, I think we need to start in that area. Uh, The high school student, mm, probably too late. Unless it's someone who just loves cars or trucks, they're probably not going to be as interested. Um, Now, I I want to kind of back up and talk about perception again, because the way the general public perceives us is the way that they're going to recommend to their friends and family whether or not they should be involved in the industry. In the military, the commanding officer is overall responsible for everything 
in his unit under his command. It's the same thing for a shop. If it's an independent shop and it is owned by an individual or a family, they are ultimately responsible for everything that happens in that building. And the way a shop or a business presents itself affects the community and their perception. So until management or owners take the responsibility that they are going to be the ones who begin to change the image, their shop image, which will improve the industry image, then, you know, you and I can talk about changing it till the cows come home, but we have to present uh, a future for a technician or anyone interested in the industry to make it look attractive. Not that it's, you know, sweating and being greasy all the time, busted knuckles and things, you know, that are part of the job, but we need to present it as, you know, a, uh, a reasonable income to raise a family with, uh, to build a retirement and a stable job. So in my opinion, that's where we need to start. The owners, managers, folks who are setting the stage for how our shops are presented. Uh, current technicians, again, it's my belief, a person carries themselves and presents themselves to others based on their own self-opinion. If you have a, a technician working in your shop and he sees himself as a mechanic, being a mechanic's not bad, but it's the way you present yourself. Um, there was a recent uh, article by Mitch Schneider, and he talked about that, you know, for a while we, we shifted from being a mechanic to being a technician, and that improved the customers, the general public's perception of who that person is working on their vehicle. Right. He presented... Uh, Maybe it's time to move from technician to technologist. Oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's very similar to uh, I, I believe NHRA's new uh, new uh, recruitment tool this year. We are rocket scientists. Is the way they're uh, bringing in youth of of today to get them involved in the sport. We are rocket scientists. Yes, and you know if you look at a new car. They're, they're mostly computers anymore. They're computers on wheels. They have so many modules and operating systems that are running. Um, and, you know, for an old gearhead that uh, we, we thought a one horsepower per cubic inch was pretty impressive, you know, and Chrysler's putting out an 800 horsepower. <laughs> I think uh, Mustang, the new Mustang's supposed to be over 800 out of, you know, five or six liters. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, they're not doing that with carburetors and points and condenser. Also, what, an interesting thing is the quickest cars, not just fast, but quick, the quickest cars are electric. Right. And so, you know, if you want to drive a fast car, you want to have a quick car, you go electric. And, you know, the old, uh, the old days of, you know, working on an internal combustion engine, or I'm afraid they're they're going to be limited. I don't see them going away right away, but um, 
tomorrow's technician has to understand electric motors and even the technology that's changing there. Right. It's not just a, a DC motor like blows your uh, your blower fan. It's a high tech, you know, super efficient electric motor. Yeah. So w- when you when you look at the repair industry, you know, and you talk about that perception, have we done a good job of representing to today's technician and even today's vehicle owner, the one that is coming in with the car that is, you know, 10 years or younger and the technology that's even in it? Has the industry fully represented to the future technician and even the vehicle owner what is generally involved in diagnosing you know these late model vehicles i mean even the perception there of when they walk in walk in the shop of this is not like you said it's not this is not going to be just me walking out with my screwdriver and and you know a couple turns on the carburetor and we're off and running here you know this is what 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 can the industry do about representing what the technician of today really has to deal with on a daily basis how can we get that message out one of the things i like to do personally is when i have a new customer their first time in my shop i'll say do you have a moment for a, a shop tour i'll walk them through our shop it's well lit it's clean my technicians are clean. I show them some of the diagnostic equipment. I talk about, you know, the fact that as an independent shop, I have dealer level diagnostics for uh, Cummins and Detroit and Allison transmissions and ABS systems, Meritor. And I show them all of this equipment we have. I tell them about approximately how much money we have invested in each of those pieces of equipment. Um, and I'll walk them through our parts room. This is what we keep in stock. Uh, we have this so we can quickly take care of your problems. And we go through all of that. I talk to them about how much training. We do weekly in-house training. We send our guys to training at least two, three times a year for specialized day-after-day training and tell them that that's just what it takes to stay in business today. Uh, so... I've, I've talked to other shops about doing the same thing. When I was at Ford, when a customer bought a new car, I had the salesperson bring them out. I'd walk them through the shop, do the same show and tell. This is what it takes to keep your car, your truck, operating at peak performance and efficiency and all of that. And you know, anytime you have a question, you come see me and we'll take care of your questions. You know, as you say that, Bruce, I'm sitting there thinking, don't just bring mom and dad out there um, or, you know, dad or or mom and and leave the kids in the, you know, because a lot of the shops today are creating the 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 living room style environment there that they have the TVs and, you know, they have the the chargers for the devices and all that stuff. Get the youth out there. And, and show them what is going on in that ride that gets them to the soccer match. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, for example, there's a, a local, um, our local homeschool groups, our local high school. I will invite them out and say, bring, you know, your shop class or bring your, your children, students, whatever, uh, along. And I'll walk them through and then try to answer all their questions. 
when there's a family. Now, we don't see as much of that here in the trucking side, but back when I was at Ford, if the family's there and they've got all their children, sure, bring them along, you know. Right. I keep a drawer full of lollipops and little toys and things like that to give to children, coloring books. And uh, those coloring books are automotive-based, uh, you know. And so I, we go there to try to instill that, that desire for them to want to come to our shop. I don't want a customer to feel afraid or intimidated or anything when they come to my shop. Yeah. I want them to think like they're coming to a family member to have some work done. Well, as we close in here on about 48 minutes on this, uh, this conversation, I, I have so many more questions, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw out option A or option B. Um, you know, my, for one of my last questions here and when we talk about the next five years, what innovations do you believe that we're going to see that's going to change the industry? You know, we everybody, we have telematics, the connected car, you know, the the right to the information that's in the software, hybrid, electric, um, or, you know, you can go to, um, if you were going to give a keynote speech in a high school graduation, at a high school graduation, what would your topic be and why? So you have, what innovations do you believe will change the industry in the next five years? Or if you would tell us what your keynote speech would be about to, uh, let's say, Mount Vernon High School, my alma mater. I think if I were going to do address a high school, um, one of the first things that, that comes to mind is even when I was in college, uh, I remember one of our classes said, uh, stand up and share some words of wisdom. And it was, it was a little bit funny, but I said, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Nice. And while that's a little bit humorous, the point is, be prepared. The world in general, not just the automotive industry, but everything due to technology is changing at an exponential rate. So, of course, I would like to see you know young people get involved in the automotive industry, because I believe that it is the future. You know, um, I often compare our technicians, and especially technicians of tomorrow, to Star Trek. You know, it's going to be hand scanners and, you know, reading uh, what's going on with your equipment and making repairs as needed. And it's not going to be the the greasy, dirty uh, jobs that we did in the past. I also have a, if you can tell from my voice and the way I talk about this subject, I'm very passionate about our industry. I'm also passionate about our future and the children who are are growing up today. And, you know, before we started, you and I were talking a little bit about millennials and that I really see that they are the future of the industry and of, you know, our world in general. But... Uh, somewhere along the line, I feel that as parents and adults, we have let children down to this place where they believe they are entitled to certain things without having to apply themselves. Uh, one bit of wisdom I would pass on to a graduating class is if you want the finer things in life, you're not going to find them in your mom's basement. <laughs> That's good. Get some education, 
plan for your future. Don't wait for everything to be handed to you. And those are the things that will put you above your peers and make you successful. Yeah. One of the things uh, I coach uh, some of my children's uh, baseball and, and basketball teams, and we talk about working the plan and the plan works. If you're out you know, doing whatever it is that you think you need to do that day and it's off of the team plan, uh, that plan's not going to work for us. So, you know, work the plan and the plan works. And, and I, I, I do agree with you there. So closing thoughts, um, you know, something outside of the ordinary, you know, we, we've had in the past, you know, where's the future of the industry going and things like that. You know, Bruce, if you had four hours that you could be around any industry influencer, um, closing thoughts on who that would be and why. I'm probably going to mispronounce this man's name, but it's Constantinos Lascaris. Okay. He is a senior, he's a senior engineer for Tesla Motors. And while Tesla has had their issues, um, they are on the cutting edge of the technology and the changes being made in the industry. Um, you know, just to sit and listen to him and get his ideas on where we'll be in five years or 10 years and uh, the rate of technology change. Um, you know, it's not so many years ago that the electric car was held up by that 100-mile limit. Now I understand they can go 200 plus, 300 miles on a charge. Yeah. And those are due to uh, improvements in efficiency. And that's not that big a period of time between A and B. And just to look forward to, as to what the, the future holds is just wide open to me. I, I so look forward to seeing how, it, how it's going to all play out and come about. Well, Bruce, we want to thank you for taking uh, an hour almost of your time today. We're in the 54-minute uh, range here for spending uh, that time with us and the Technician Academy podcast uh, listeners out there. If you like what Bruce has to say, don't forget to like and share the podcast out there. Once again, you've been listening to Bruce McDowell. He's the service advisor at Garber Diesel Service in Missouri. Uh, he's also the uh, voice on Technician Academy of the Service Advisors Desk. We've enjoyed his time there, uh, reading his insight uh, from a service advisor and passing that information along to the service advisors of today and tomorrow. So um, if you like the podcast, share it with uh, your friends, your colleagues, share it with the youth of today. Uh, there's there's a lot of podcasts before this 45th episode that covers a lot of different topics. So go back, uh, listen to a few of those, share those if you don't mind. But Bruce, once again, thank you on behalf of Technician Academy for all that you do to help us, uh, as we say, uh, our mission of automotive training fueled by passion delivered by experts to those who keep the industry moving forward um, definitely uh, your passion and, and your energy speaks to that and we thank you for being on the call with us today well i thank you for the opportunity to to share my passion and my ideas and um, i just look forward to the future 
that's a uh, that's a great closing closing point and we'll wrap with that we're looking forward to the future uh come back uh to technician academy make sure you uh visit the website it's www.technician.academy lots of content on there sign up for the newsletter and we'll keep that information coming along to you and let you know where our next stop is and what our next podcast is and like i said if you like bruce's uh topics let us know we have a suggestion box on there as well so bruce it's been a pleasure uh enjoy the rest of your evening and we will talk again soon thank you very much all right thanks bruce Thanks for listening to this episode of Technician Academy's podcast, brought to you by Extend Performance. Be sure to rate us on iTunes or Google Play and visit us online at technician.academy. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Please help us spread our Respect is Learn message by liking and sharing our content on your social media platforms. Technician.academy where respect is learned.